Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Romans and chapter 12 as we continue on in our summer series just this week and next week as we will conclude this chapter, what I call All In. It is a delight to see every single one of you here this morning. Thank you, Scott, and the rest of your team for leading us. Um, what a delight to report as well. Um, just an amazing day yesterday at Vacation Bible School. I want to thank Jen, um, especially Jen Braun and the number of people surrounding her. Um, a lot of work, and it was an amazing day. I met many people um, who are not familiar with the ministry of Big Woods, and so we have our work cut out for us um, in Lock Haven. I had a busy day yesterday, and it was going relatively well according to plan. After VBS, I had a wedding, uh, a renewal, 50-year 50, 50 renewal of vows. And um, everything was going well right up until the kids got me. There was a face painting station. Um, and, of course, by the time I got there, it became a, a head painting station. And so the kids and the artists amongst us, little Maddie and Willow or whoever, uh, I had sideburns, and I had a goatee, and, and I had curly, thick, dark hair, um, and, and it was going wonderful. We finished BBS, and I raced home to, to get cleaned up in a shower, and, and Wendy and I made it over to this beautiful location, outdoor location, uh, for the renewal of the wedding vows, and, and you know, just before I'm about to walk up in the gazebos there, uh, when he's like, uh, honey, you got paint on your face. There's still paint on your face. You know how they do the little, you know, like, let's just get this off. Rough day overall, okay? Um, they're still married. Praise God for that. Congratulations to Tom and Denise on 50 faithful years. Uh, praise God that his word went out yesterday to many, many kids, uh, vacation Bible school, and uh, now we are here. And we have God's word opened up before us. And we have a few minutes, Lord willing, without any distractions, where we can dive in, dig in, and, Lord willing, uh, take home with us an important nugget on how the gospel continues to transform our life every single day. Um, would you bow your heads first, and we'll pray together and ask for the Lord's help as we learn. Father, we come into your presence and we recognize and, and realize not, not, not unto us, not unto us, O oh Lord, but to your name be the glory. And we think of that as we have a few moments together. I, I pray, Lord, as your spirit is here amongst us, that your word as it is promised will never return void that every person that is here, regardless of where they are in their spiritual walk, in their journey, that you would speak. Father, use me however you see fit. Help me just to, to disappear. And Father, I would ask that we would understand the significance, the magnitude, and the weight, the gravity of this situation of gathering together as your called out ones to worship you in song, and have our hearts and souls and our minds directed towards you and towards your word. Father, I, I pray that you will continue to um, mature us as followers of Jesus. 
Lord, I do think as well right now of our of our brother, uh, Mr. Brooks, in hospital, who suffered a severe accident this week. And I know many are praying. God, I would ask your perfect will to be accomplished and there to be strength and healing soon so you can continue to use him as a minister of the gospel. Father, I would ask right now that you would just guard and, and guide my minds and my words, my lips and my speech, that everything that is spoken would be for the glory of God. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Okay, little bit by way of our review. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We talked about the fact that we're to offer yourself, your whole self to God. Uh, verses 3 through 8, it took a couple weeks to get through. We offer our gifts to God. Last week when we were together, verses 9 through 13, we offer your actions to God. And now we're going to build upon this with this idea or this understanding of what it means to actually offer what I call your attitude to God. Now as we begin here, we really begin to, to think gospel all the way through. Every day we wake up and we realize that we have been gifted by God's grace in amazing ways. God's mercy has been given to us. We saw that in verse 1 of Romans 12. God's grace has been given to us. We see that in verse 3 of Romans 12. The Holy Spirit has imparted to each one of us gifts. And now think gospel with that first and foremost, which means don't think about yourself in comparing and competing with other people. We understand what it is grace upon grace that God has given to us amazing blessings. He has called you. He has redeemed you. He has rescued you. He has forgiven you. He has healed you. He has brought you into right relationship with a heavenly, holy Father through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now our instruction and admonition is this. Don't blow it. Okay? Like we have to come to a place where we realize we've got a job before us and, 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 and the job is really, really easy if there were no other people involved with it. I've, I've repeatedly used the statement, church would be easy without people. Ministry would be easy if there were no people. But that's not, not the truth here. What we have to realize is that as we are setting out every day to accomplish God's will for God's glory, it's not about us. We what? We, we realize... We're not to, to, to mess it up, to smudge it anymore. So we ask the question, how, how do we do this? How do we get it right? What does it look like every single day? As we look at this theme of being all in, Lord, whatever it takes, I'm yours. We offer our attitude. Let me give you very quickly, by way of a launching point, what your attitude is. It's defined as a state of feeling or mind about a person or a situation. It is further defined attitude as our inner understanding about others. I want you to think of a name for a moment. Any name, and we usually have one of two responses. We think of a name and we think like, oh, that person, that name. There's like a sense of, oh, and then there's, there's another name that perhaps comes to mind, and it's not, oh, it's, 
Ugh. And, and in all honesty, that's really what we want to pause on this morning. Re- remember this. Remember this. When a person is in rebellion against God, they will constantly find themselves at odds with other people. But when a person is at peace with God, they will be at peace with other people. Let me, let me tell you this. When you let the gospel transform your life, it will transform the way that you see and treat other people. We're going to look at that in our text today. Romans chapter 12, we pick it up in verse 14. We'll read down through verse 21. Again, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to break this into two parts. We'll deal with part one this week, part two next week, because there's too many verses to get through just this, this morning. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, 14 through 21. All about our attitude particularly in dealing with other people. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, We'll just look at the first four statements today. And the first one is this. It says in verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless And do not curse them. Now, this section begins with a phrase that it is, in all honesty, very, very difficult instruction. It's a difficult admonition. You'd almost think that the author would build towards a statement like this, but he begins with a statement that is this difficult. Now, it's, it's, again, somewhat challenging for you and I today in our culture, 21st century America, but I want you to think about the time that the author, Paul, Writes. I want you to think about the context and the culture that he is writing, particularly when he uses this word, persecute. That, that's a real word. That's a big word. In all honesty, that's a really, really bad word in many ways. When one, in, in Paul's day, in a culture that he's penning this, when one publicly professes faith as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, And what they did is that what we all should do, we are going to be publicly baptized. So we are counted as. We are are alongside of. We identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When someone does that, particularly in Paul's day, it meant something. As a matter of fact, it meant everything. 
It, it meant what? A willingness to take a stand that I would be willing to take it. Which means what? Rocks were going to be thrown at your head. That you were going to feel sticks land and struck and hit upon your back. There were going to be threats that you would receive. There was probably going to be periods or time even of imprisonment. Think about who, who is the, the, the where, where is the church located? This is the church in Rome. First century. Think Rome for a moment. Remember the Roman Colosseum where there were tens of thousands of people cheering as Christians. Those of us who would what identify as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ were brought into in order to fight, so-called fight, against um, lions and tigers and, and, and gladiators. This is the culture that he is writing. Rome, the catacombs, the, the tunnel system that existed beneath the city where Christians literally hid together and they gathered in little small pockets of the catacombs to worship underground because they could not do it openly. This is the culture that Paul is writing in. Nero, think of the emperor, who what? It is notorious. He, he was known with taking Christians and, and dipping them in oil and impaling them alive onto a stake and lighting them on fire to, 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 to lighten his garden that he would walk through and play his violin as Christians were, were burning. It's this culture, it's this context that Paul is writing in today. And we are given instruction that we're to what? Be kind to those who are unkind to you. That's what we have to do here. Number one, to be kind to those who are unkind. What is Paul? How, how does that happen? How are we to be kind to someone who does that type of action? Now, we could say first century uh, Rome, Roman culture, but not 21st century America. But do you realize that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that are suffering because they are choosing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize that? I keep a little card in, 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 my, in my day timer to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in places like Pakistan and Afghanistan, Uzbekistan and Iraq and Iran and in, in the Sudan, do you realize we have brothers and sisters literally in China and North Korea that are being persecuted, that are suffering in this way? Now, now we would say, well, it's, it's different for us. But what is the extent of our persecution? Think about you. We've not been imprisoned yet. We've not been beaten. We've not had rocks thrown at us. What, what is it? The, the, in all honesty, in all honesty, some of the biggest things is, well, someone laughed at me. Put, put that in context to, to what the, the culture is that Paul's writing. Someone laughed at you, or perhaps you didn't get the promotion. That, that was the extent of your persecution. You didn't get the, the, the pay bump or the pay raise that you thought. And, and, and we think about if Paul is telling what our brothers and sisters in first century, that they are to bless those who are cursing, bless those who are hurting, then, then could I just say certainly, 
certainly with all of what the strength the Holy Spirit gives to us, empowers us, certainly we can do that as well. The idea is that not, not only are we to just resist hating them, there, there's actually some type of an action here. We're to bless those, which means we look for ways to speak and to be kind to those who hurt. That word bless, the, the Greek word eulogia, it's where we get our word eulogy from. If you've ever attended a funeral before, and usually what happens is someone on behalf of the family member will speak and give a formal eulogy. It is words to bless, words to, in a sense, uplift, words to celebrate the life of someone That's the instruction of what you and I are supposed to do to those who are mocking us or making fun of us. Different than the word, um, remember we did a series in in Matthew chapter 5 on the Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, makarios, happy. It's a different word. Okay, we don't just go gleefully through like, oh, I get to be persecuted, I get to be mocked or made fun of. It's, it's not that. We live with an understanding. Jesus says what? They hated me and they're going to hate you. We look at all of the Word of God. The Bible begins with persecution of the righteous by the unrighteous. Cain kills his own brother Abel. The Hebrews suffer in slavery. The prophets had pain inflicted upon them. The apostles were attacked. Eleven of the twelve dying. Horrible deaths because they chose to follow Jesus. We very quickly draw a conclusion that we are to actually come to a place where we are wishing happiness upon those who hurt us. And you say, really? Yeah, yeah, really. We are to wish happiness upon those who hurt us, mock us, make fun of us, look for opportunities to do that. Number one, be kind to those who are unkind to you. Secondly, it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Here you go. Remember this little statement. Feel the feelings of others. Number two, feel the feelings of others. I don't know if there's a greater single statement that so clearly defines and explains how we are to act in having a right attitude than than those 11 words right there. Actually, part of my formal philosophy of ministry that I developed years and years ago, and it continues to be that rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Which means what? There is going to have to be effort, but it's, it's Holy Spirit-given effort on your parts to learn, to associate, to relate, to connect, to listen to others, to come to a place where you, you literally begin to feel with what other people are feeling. It, that statement, it, it drips what I call with pristine perfection. And so, so it's an opportunity to kind of pause this morning and, and say, is that the way that we really live and minister? Do we celebrate when others around us succeed? 
I want you to think about that. Do you really ache when others around us are suffering? Let's pause on the first one for just a moment. Do you celebrate with others who succeed? Someone comes up to you and, and they are so excited. They want you to go for a ride in their new S-series. And they're, they're just so delighted and, ex- and, and excited about it. And you're like, yeah, well, I'm in the, uh, yeah, I have the 189,621-series. Uh, you know, like it's a whole different world. And it's hard to celebrate alongside of when someone else gets the promotion that you didn't get, when someone else gets the raise that you did not get, when someone else was blessed in, in some way that you, for some reason, God chose not to bless you with. Um, the, the little bumper stickers, okay, and, and I know I'm going to get myself in trouble here. My, my, my daughter is an honor roll student at whatever Christian school, and, 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 or, or not Christian school, any school, whatever school. And, and, and we realize that the first thought that goes through our mind is not always just delighting and celebrating in your child's. Sometimes we actually respond like the other bumper sticker. I saw you've seen it before. My child just beat up the honor roll student, or my child just beat up your student. Okay, and I know that that's totally wrong, totally wrong. But in a sense, that's our flesh. That's the way that we, we respond in times. And we have to pause on that and really say, are we doing this? Now, we're told if we exercise the gifts, the spiritual gifts in a way, according to what verse 15 says, that we are to truly, and very honestly, in a very sincere way, delight in the good news of others. Or how, about, or how about the opposite, the other side of success and celebration? Weeping with those who weep. What I have found is this. When someone is in pain, we often like to distance ourselves. We almost naturally distance ourselves in some way from that individual who's in pain. We've had, we've had enough pain ourselves. I can't, I can't really handle any more. And, and so what happens is that there's an awkwardness. I don't know what to say to them. They're hurting. They're sick. A family member's died. And there's no words. And so what happens is we just, in a, in a, in a very, um, in a very uh, uncomfortable way, just kind of like back away. But let, let me remind you that if we are really going to be a church, that, that builds relationships, an entire community is transformed. If we're going to connect and relate, and we're going to begin to feel what other people are feeling, we can't distance ourselves. As a matter of fact, we have to do the exact opposite when someone aches. We have to go towards them. I, I think of, of my responsibility as a pastor. I, I think of us together as elders. What is our responsibility? We have no choice. We must be in the emergency room. We have to be. We have to go to the funeral home. We, we have to go to the hospital room. We have to have, and a lot of times you're there and you're like, well, I don't know what to say. and I can read a verse or I can pray, but there's just an awkwardness. I had a dear, a dear old um, uh, friend when I was pastoring up in northern Maine, an older guy, and I, I used to come alongside and just listen to him, and I, and I asked him, I said, what, what do I do in situations where I, I have no words to say? They're aching and they're weeping. And he said, Tim, he said, it's called a ministry of presence. 
It's just you being there. As, as awkward as that is, I don't have to say anything. You realize that you don't have to have the, the perfect kind of like line of words. That by you literally choosing to come and to sit alongside and just be there, that with the Holy Spirit, you are bringing to them an important ministry of comfort, of weeping with those who weep. And so we ask, and the Holy Spirit speaks to our own hearts this morning, do you truly ache? Do you truly mourn with others? If you recall the wisdom writer Proverbs, Solomon says this in Proverbs chapter 17, the person who rejoices or the person who is glad at calamity, uh, Solomon says displeases God. Matter of fact, he makes the statement that they will not go unpunished. So if you reverse this some way and you rejoice at someone else's hardship, which in all honesty, that's, that's our natural tendency. That's, that's what's naturally inside of me. We rejoice at someone else's calamity or hardship or pain. It literally says that person, God himself, looks upon this as a serious, severe matter. God himself will not let you go unpunished. It's that important. <clears throat> Number three, here we go. It says, live in harmony with one another. Excuse me. <clears throat> Live in harmony with one another. Or number three, agree to show affection. There's another translation here. <clears throat> it says, instead of live in harmony with one another, it says be of the same mind toward one another. I think that's a little bit more accurate in, in some respects. Hearing that initially, you think that the author is referring to doctrinal unity. Now, it is of utmost importance that as a body, there is to be what? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. But it, it actually expands on a broader scale than just theological agreement. Know this, when, when we talk about the fact that we're to live in harmony with one another or be of the same mind, it actually has to do with the idea of our affection that is shown toward other people. One commentary actually had this text under the heading, Do not be partial or do not have favorites, and directed people to our thinking in James chapter 2, where it's easy for us to, to show affection to some people and not affection to other people. What we understand is that we are supposed to have the exact same kind of affection with all people as part of the whole body. Which means we are not to share and show affection to a small, select few that we like to hang with. We're not to show affection only to a few who we are comfortable kind of huddling alongside. Instead, what this text actually talks about is that we are to distribute our affections to the entire body equally and evenly. I talk about this all the time, and I'm interested, I'm fascinated by it. Why people park in the same spot every single week, generally speaking. 
why is it, like what, what happens in our minds that when we walk in here, generally speaking, you all choose the same seat. And if you can't get to the same seat, you'll get as close to that same seat as possible. I'm fascinated by that. Why is that? What I also find is that when you also sit in the same seat, Inevitably, everyone else is kind of sitting in the same seat. And then what? You're to meet and greet other people. What happens with that? Well, you're meeting and you're greeting the exact same people that you kind of want sit alongside every single week. And you can do that week in after week out. You have no idea. I, I listen to people. I run into people all the time. And they have no idea. They go to Big Woods. I didn't know that they go to. I go to Big Woods. Really? How long have they been going to Big Woods? Oh, six years. <laughs> it, it happens. What we're talking about here is we've actually got to get to a place where we see and understand that every single person is important. I went to school with a kid by the name of Greg, and I, I knew Greg. I knew of Greg. And Greg knew me, and, and he knew of me, but I didn't like Greg. And I, and I realized as well that Greg did not like me. The interesting part is we had no idea why we didn't really like one another. We just didn't like one another. I remember one particular time we were on a bus ride, and there was no other seat left, and Greg and I sit in the same seat. And, and somebody said something fun, and we both laughed at the same thing. And we began to talk, and, and, and his dad had a lot of things in common with my dad. And he had an older sister that, that used to plague him, and I had an older sister that used to plague me. And we had all these things in common. And I realized, like, you know what, we actually, we, we hung together for a while. It was this idea that for some reason we have people in categories and cliques. We can't do that. If we can't do that as a body, how in the world... Are we going to meet new people in our entire community? We can't just, we can't keep playing in the same pool with the same people over and over and over again and impact the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I want you to do is this. You have your little contact list. You, you do. You have your little phone, your little contact list. I want you to think about adding names to that contact list. That's what it's really talking about. Agreeing to show your affection to others apart from. When was the last time you added half a dozen new names to your contact list? Yeah, but like we, we, don't, we don't swim together. Well, it doesn't matter. You, you've got to begin to understand we think outside of the box when it comes this way. Number four, and, and we're moving on. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Number four, here it is, very simple. Hang out with the humble. Hang out with the humble. We begin with this, do not be haughty. There's other words for that. You know what? Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. Don't be puffed up. My dad would just say, don't, don't have a fat head. That's the term he would use. Don't get a fat head. You don't want to be a person with a fat head. The word which is interesting here, haughty, is hypsilos. It means high. Don't have your head above everyone else. It expands. Don't think high. The King James Version translates it 
mind not high things. Another translation says, not setting your mind on high things. Instead of hanging with the haughty, we should what? Hang with the humble, which means you literally have got to find people, okay? Search out and seek people. Hold company with people who are modest, unassuming. A simple description is find people and hang out with people who are not talking about themselves or their immediate family. Okay? When all you talk about is you and your immediate family, it is what? It is high thinking. We, we could say that's not who you're supposed to be holding company with. You find those. Why? Because fact is, fact is, you will behave and you will become like those who you spend time with. We know that. That's why we're careful with why teaching our kids who you hang with. Very quickly, I remember the time we were traveling, Wendy and I got into our hotel later than normal, and, and um, we had a couple things that we needed first thing in the morning, so we went out late at night. It was like midnight, 1230, to, to a big superstore. And, and we went and got a few things, went in line, and we're waiting behind a group of four or five older high school kids. They all come from a game. They were jocks. And, and, and there was another boy, their exact age, another high school kid who's working cashier. And I remember listening and watching these four or five guys together, okay, just mocking openly. It was late at night. Yeah, I'd like a price check on this chapstick, please. Yeah, how much money are you make? You having fun? Like just, just rude in every way. And I remember watching the kid, the, the kid at the cat. I remember watching him respond with such grace and such kindness and such politeness that I, as we got up, I thanked him for the way that he behaved himself in that set. I want to, I want to hang with that. Guy, I, I, I don't want to hang with what the haughty and the rude and the crude. So we, we seek out and we search for. What do we do here? We think gospel all the way through. We have what? Grace upon grace upon grace is given to us. We have been blessed with God's mercy and His grace. Christ has rescued us and redeemed us and brought us in right relationship. We are to live in such a way that we respond by that. The Holy Spirit has given to us gifts. We exercise those gifts for His glory. And the way that we're going to do that, it's going to flesh out in our attitude toward other people. A couple little nuggets of truth in this text to hold on to. If we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, if we're going to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in the day and time that He has called us. So hold on to those few little nuggets today. We have the wonderful privilege of celebrating communion. We want to pause to do that, but hold on to the fact that Jesus Christ Himself humbled Himself and became obedient. Okay, it says, but He humbled Himself even to the point of death. And we this morning as a church, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, we are to regularly remember, and that's what we do, we regularly remember what Jesus Christ did for us, what he demonstrated for us by offering his body and his blood to be broken and to be poured out for you and for me. 
You see, apart from this, what, what, there, can, there can be no motivation to be obedient, to live different, or to offer your attitude. We follow the example that Christ gave. And, and although the disciples, and, and I can't wait, I can't wait, I know it's going to be a long, but eventually I think we're going to be able to meet and talk to and, 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 and say, what, what was going through your mind, Peter? James and John. And, and they were slow to get it, like you and I are slow to get it. So Jesus gives them a very simple object lesson. And it's the same object lesson that we present to you this morning. That we have got, got to understand and got to grasp what Jesus Christ did. It says that Jesus took bread. It would have been unleavened bread. Leaven throughout all of Scripture is seen as sin. And, and Jesus lived his life without any sin. And so it wouldn't, be, wouldn't smell probably as, as, as good and, and it wouldn't be as pretty and as puffy as this. There'd be no leaven or yeast in it. And they took the bread and Jesus showed it to them and He broke it. When He broke it, He said, This is my body. This is my body present that, that will be broken. And they were looking at Him and like, Wait, but your body's fine. But momentarily it was going to be broken and whipped and shredded and beat. But I do this for you. After it says that Jesus took the bread, it says that He took the cup and He poured it out. Fruit of the vine. He probably had some wine and He poured it. He said, this is a picture of my blood. My blood is going to be poured out for you. Blood offers life. Jesus said that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or no forgiveness of sin. And so we hold on to these reminders, these tangible um, pictures of what Christ has done for us, and it motivates us to be obedient and to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And so what we have to do regularly, regularly, is hold tight to this. So if you are a believer, I would encourage you to partake of this. If you are here this morning, you have not made that decision, then I don't want to be rude. I would ask you to refrain from taking this. Um, it would be meaningless to you. Scripture also says that today, today, this very day, is a day of salvation. That if you recognize that you are a sinner, that you deserve eternal separation, but you believe and know that Jesus Christ is the only one who lived a sinless life that paid the price for your sin and for my sin on the cross. And that you receive Him as your Savior and you desire to follow Him. Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to live according to Your Word. And I would encourage you to make that decision. Today, make that decision. And this is for you. I'm going to ask the elders to come. Um, and they're going to pass this out. They're going to pass the, the bread out first. We'll ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. And then they'll pass to you the cup. And may we celebrate what God has done um, as an amazing reminder of His love and His grace upon grace.
Father, as we come into your presence um, with the bread before us as a symbol of your body, may we understand the significance of what this means as we think, Lord, in a few moments of the cup that we will partake of, as we remember the significance of what that cup represents, the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that that is the reason that we can come to you and we can even talk with you like this right now because of what Jesus has done. We thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. We thank you, Lord, for adopting us as your own children into a unique position. Lord, may this time together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper be a, a wonderful reminder, but also a motivation of the reason that we strive to be obedient. It's understanding what you have done for us. Bless this. Bless us individually. Bless us corporately as a body. And may we glorify you in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I generally read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 on the Lord's Supper. But what's interesting is that this precedes 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul talks about all the spiritual gifts in the list. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. It's a great reminder of the order and significance. Before we exercise any gifts, we recognize what Jesus Christ has done. It says this, The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Thank you, brothers. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.